Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Like, this is tinfoil hat stuff. It's not really based in any reality, but... That's my favorite kind of stuff. Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Nashville Predators. And we are joined by old friend of the pod, former... Well, I guess still currently. Currently of Broad Street Hockey. The savior of the Auburn hockey program, I'm going to say. Eamon Smith. Eamon, how are you? I'm good. I don't know that savior is is the right term. Uh, more just like here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm present. I yeah. Uh, although some some may think that I'm just a figment of their imagination with how long I've been gone at this point. Uh, but I'm I'm doing good. It's you know just starting to get a little bit cold down here. It's dropped into like the 60s recently. Um, oh God which is like my favorite type of weather i can wear a hoodie and not just get cooked in the sun uh as is typical in alabama alabama i was just gonna ask you where auburn was because i forgot in my head it was alabama so i nailed it yeah i i wasn't you know satisfied with the weather in tennessee so i decided to go somewhere hotter and muggier with more mosquitoes oh a bold choice see you got to keep them guessing right never never let them know your next move (laughs) Never. So we're going to talk about the Nashville Predators. And even though you don't live there anymore, I'm assuming you still keep up with the Nashville Predators. Well, I wouldn't be a very good friend if I agreed to do this podcast and didn't watch the team at all. That would I. Fair enough. Although I did last season do a Detroit Red Wings podcast with someone who told me beforehand, I haven't watched a single game this year, but I'm pretty sure I can talk about them. And I was like, sounds good. Let's do it. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've watched every Preds game so far this season. Um, okay. You know, it's it's more of a pain in the butt to do with my schedule nowadays, but I still, like, I'll record the games or I'll go back and watch a playback of them if I can't catch them live. Um, so, yeah, I watched, you know, the two games in, uh, I want to say one was in, one was definitely, like, no, I think they were both in Prague. Um, because they played, they played the exhibition game. It's kind of the thing that the Flyers yeah. did a little while ago mm-hmm. when they when they lost to the European team. When they went uh, to lasagna, yeah. Yeah, uh, and everybody panicked and was like, this team's going to be awful. And surprisingly, that was the only good Flyers team we've seen in like the past <laughs> decade-ish. Um, but yeah, the I've, I've watched every game, um, even the ones that have been more difficult to get to. And this this team, uh, there's something. It's a hockey team. So before we get into the games and the hockey team, the Predators, um, 
I've just been kind of asking people to go through the important stuff that happened over the summer since it's still early in the season. So any big additions or subtractions or personnel changes that have happened with the Preds? So I'd say there are a couple. Um, the big ones, well, you like, and Flyers fans might actually be aware of this one, but uh, Phil Myers got traded. Um, he was part of a package that went the other way in a salary dump by Tampa Bay of Ryan McDonough, um, who now is part of that, you know, defensive core that's already pretty solid. Alex Carrier, Roman Yossi, Dante Fabro, Matias Ekholm, and now you've got Ryan McDonough and uh, Jeremy Lazon, who they overpaid like a second round pick to acquire last season at the trade deadline. But, you know, he's about as good as it gets for a 6D. Um, so that was a big swing in the offseason. And then the other kind of like notable addition was Nino Niederreiter. They signed him as a free agent. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's been really good so far, actually. I've, I've been, you know, I expected like he was going to be a solid top six player, but he's been better than that so far. Uh, he's riding a crazy shooting percentage. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's, yeah, 40% shooting percentage. He rung one off the post last night against the Kings. So, you know, he's got four goals through five games. Um, should be five goals through five games, but uh, that that's a pretty big signing for them at least by Pred standards. Um, and then notable subtractions, not really a lot headed out. Um, most of the team was kept intact. I think the only player who got like any time playing in the top six or playing in the starting lineup consistently who's gone this year is uh, they got rid of Matt Benning, who's like a bottom pair defenseman who rotated in and out with Mark Borvietsky. Um and then Luke Cunnan, they traded him to the Sharks for draft picks. That's kind of an addition by subtraction for this team. Like Luke Cunnan is a young guy. He might still get better, but he was awful last year. He was the worst Preds forward by far. So they got rid of him. Um, and then they have replaced him with some other bottom six forwards who have kind of rotated in and out. All right. Very exciting. Thank you for running that down. So, um, the Preds right now, 2-2-1, two, two, and one. they have played five entire hockey games so far this season, which is wild to me. I don't know how they have two more than the Flyers, but here we are. Um, and, uh, I mean, second in the Central, none of this really matters five games into the season, but um, what's kind of been your big takeaway over these first five games, if anything? Uh... It's really difficult to tell just because the sample size is so small and you don't want to take like too much away from the early part of the season. But if I were to like pick a word to describe their start, I would use underwhelming. Um, Last season was really fun, uh, even though they got absolutely clapped by the avalanche in the first round. I I mean, everybody kind of saw that one coming, but uh, you know, they weren't expected to make the playoffs by most people, uh, kind of rightfully so. They got great performances out of players who hadn't performed that way before, like Forsberg and Duchesne had career years. You had two 40-goal scorers on that team, which most people wouldn't realize, actually. Um, and UC Soros continued to be great. But there were a lot of glaring flaws with that team as well. They took a ton of penalties. Um, which was a huge issue for them. Their penalty kill was not that great. UC Soros uh, kind of bailed them out a lot on the PK, but 
I didn't ever really think they were especially great uh, killing penalties for how many they took. Um, and they didn't really do anything to fix that problem in the offseason personnel-wise, besides adding McDonough, which like you'd think in theory he would fix things. But uh, they're still taking a ton of penalties, so that's carried over. Um, and then last season, they were pretty much just like a break-even or slightly above break-even 5v5 team. Um, that was getting carried a lot by top end scoring and great goaltending. So kind of like a big PDO team. Um, and, you know, you can't ride that for multiple seasons in a row, which they've done now. Uh, you know, they've the, the year previous when they made the playoffs, it was because Soros got crazy hot towards the end of the year. And the only reason that the series against Carolina even went six is because they got incredible goaltending. So they're, they're just a profoundly mediocre team right now um, that has some like fun stuff about it to watch. Like they're good young players. Um, there's, there's like a nice blend of like youth and uh, veterans and skill and grit. Uh, but the problem is they're not really outstanding in any area except for goaltending. I think UC Saros is great. But when you watch this team, they're not as fast as most of the teams in the NHL. It's like, to kind of put it in a context that Flyers fans would get, it's like if you took the Flyers and the same kind of way that they're built and you just up the talent at every position except for, I don't know that Saros is necessarily more talented than Carter Hart. He's just mm. been better than him. And, um, and more, I would say, definitely more proven. Yeah, and... It doesn't hurt him that he played behind a guy who had like a borderline Hall of Fame career for four years or whatever and got plenty of time to get eased into the NHL rather than being stuck behind one of the league's worst defenses for like the first three or four years of his career with very little help in front of him. So it's just, again, like they are kind of built the same as the Flyers where they don't really have a game breaker. Like the closest thing they have to that is Philip Forsberg. I think Forsberg kind of falls in that vein of like late career, not a hundred point Giroux where he's very good. Um, and he does some flashy stuff and he scores a lot of goals, but I don't know that he necessarily takes over games like a superstar does. Um, mm-hmm. He's just a star player. He's not like a David Pasternak. He's more like that Voracek or a uh, Sean Couturier level guy. Um, and same goes for Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne's a really good player. Matt Duchesne is not like a superstar. He's just good. Uh, so there's, they're, they're like a more talented version of the Flyers, um, which is kind of infuriating to me because I'm like, do I really have to watch the same hockey team <laughs> twice? Yeah, why but are you one is like <laughs> slightly better. Uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's my impression so far this year. They're just, they're not very good at five on five. They're not bad either. Um, the teams that they've beaten, well, the team that they've beaten is just the Sharks, that's it, who stink. Oh, wow. And then uh, the teams that they've lost to, they've lost, they got destroyed by the Stars, um, just like absolutely smacked around by the Stars. And then they lost a really bad one last night to LA where they got up early. Um, I want to say it was three to one, three nothing in the third period. And then, no, it was 2 nothing in the third period. And they just completely, you know, crapped themselves. They they were terrible 
in the entire third period. And that's been a trend too for this group. So I don't know. It's it's been underwhelming hockey so far, but this this is a reasonably talented team, so we should expect to see that turnaround. Yeah, I I guess my question about I guess like I mean like an overarching existential question about the Predators is like where are they? Are they are they doing a Flyers where like they probably should rebuild, but because they have you know, a couple of strong players and a, a goalie like Saros that they don't want to get rid of. They're kind of just trying to do a weird, like, piecemeal, get better, but not really getting better thing. Or, like, are they legitimately a good team that's just underperforming? It's it's a weird spot, but I would say, again, like, I'm getting deja vu from the Flyers, just that this is a better executed version of what was going on in Philadelphia under... Ron Hextall, um, where this team doesn't want to rebuild. But I think the interesting thing is in Philly, I think that mentality comes from the ownership, not necessarily the ownership, uh, but like the the culture in the Flyers front office and the expectation of like, we will be competitive every year. That kind of comes from the history of the organization versus in Nashville, the history of the organization and the general manager who is still there right now are kind of synonymous um and and huge credit to david poyle who like nicest person uh super great guy but he he kind of was the the gm that this team needed just like barry trotz was the coach that this team needed when they were first founded they didn't have a lot of talent i mean your best players for like the first decade of preds hockey were like scott walker um you know just guys who were career like Top six guys, maybe, but they're 60-point dudes. Steve Sullivan is like a childhood hero for a lot of people in Nashville. And that's a name where like people will like recognize it, but they don't really think of him as a star. Um, David Poyle is really good at building competitive teams. He's really good at making teams that make the playoffs. He's solid at drafting. He's just kind of good at everything, not great at any one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... There was a short period of time where people kind of overlooked this because the PKS Subban trade was really flashy and they made the cup and they were really good for like that three year stretch. Um, and they've had good teams. It's just they're built in such a way where every single time they hit the playoffs, you feel like, okay, the cap on this team probably is a second round exit. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they'll surprise you, but it's very rare. So they're they're sort of stuck in limbo until Poyle retires, or I I severely doubt that he'll be fired. I think he's just got so much equity in the organization. Again, he's been there for over twenty years, so it's yeah. like he probably gets to be done when he wants to be done at this point. But uh, he's not really changing the way he operates. He's you know this team is built on defense and goaltending, and you've just got a ton of middle six forwards in there um and a couple guys at the top of the lineup who maybe give you some scoring punch but not necessarily top of the league scoring punch and and you know they were in a position too where they almost could have been worse off this season philip forsberg was in serious danger of walking away yeah I, re- I really thought he was going to there there was a legitimate chance that was going to happen but they managed to bring him back but you just you see like 
they're giving long-term extensions to a lot of players right now. And you go, okay, like Forsberg makes sense, I guess. Yossi absolutely makes sense because he's just spectacular. But does this team, with the core that they've locked up right now, deep into the next like five years or so, have the talent in that group to build around to where you can win a Stanley Cup? And I think the issue in Nashville is there's still like – the front office is still focused on ticket sales. They're still focused on, you know, making sure that the fans don't leave. There were long periods where they were giving away tickets for free in that city to try and make really? sure that their building was packed out. Um, Flyers, not recently. Are you listening? <laughs> this wasn't recently, but this was like, you know, the 2000s and the 2010s yeah. before the team became like a cultural phenomenon. Um, so they're, they're just still in this mentality, which is a healthy mentality for a team that's just entered the league of, we just want to be competitive and we want to put together a product where fans can go and watch it and we win more than we lose. And, you know, you get to go see a playoff series, even if we don't necessarily win, you get to see one because that's, Mm -hmm. they've been really consistent about making the postseason. It's just, they don't do anything when they get there. And like we've seen with the Flyers, uh, like, we see with a lot of teams around the league, you need that high end drafted talent to have a shot at winning the whole thing. Cause it's, it's one thing to say, okay, our goaltending can get hot and we can go deep. But if you look at the teams where like the Preds in 20, 2016, 2017, where their main basis for going as deep as they did in the playoffs was just a crazy hot goaltender, uh, you know, uh, the Canadiens come to mind with that crazy run from Carey Price, and then also Dallas with the uh, Hudobin run. Um, the only team in that group where you can really look at it and say, okay, their goaltending just got hot, and they were like a good, solid team in front of them uh, that didn't have like dynastic talent is the St. Louis Blues. That's the only one in like the past two decades or so that's won a Stanley Cup where you can really say that because all the rest of them, it's like. LA has multiple Hall of Fame talents on that roster. Pittsburgh, I don't even have to talk about it. And I don't want to talk about uh, <laughs> Tampa Bay, super deep, stacked up like everywhere. Um, Boston, Bergeron, Marchand, Tuka Rask, Zdeno Chara. Like they have those guys where they can completely take over a game. And Nashville just has never had those players. I mean, the closest guy we've had is Philip Forsberg and Roman Yossi. Those are, those are like the only two who have really scored. And it, it's kind of telling to like the all time franchise leader for a single season scoring uh, is Yossi. As of last year, he, he put 90 something on the board for a single season. That's the most ever by a pred. And before that, it was one year of like late career post concussion, Paul Korea, who had like 84 in a season mm. or something like that. Uh, and last year, too, was the first time that this team had ever had a 40-goal score. So it's just until until some of the people who are integral to the organization right now just decide to be done, they're probably going to be sitting in this spot. Um, and it's it's good to just kind of like accept that, I think, as a fan and just be like, all right, I'm going to watch like competent, competitive hockey, probably nothing better and nothing worse. This – does really just sound like the Flyers, but with better results, as you said. So just a team kind of stuck in its ways that's not willing to do anything different. And until they do, they're just going to be that. But 
at least they're competitive. So I guess there's that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it, uh, especially given what I've had to watch for the Flyers mm-hmm. recently. Like being able to watch a postseason series is nice, uh, but it really does have the vibes of like those years under Hack where they're alternating making the playoffs and then they just get booted in the first round for different reasons. Because I think like these Preds teams have been a lot better assembled versus those Flyers teams where it's like Claude Giroux just trying to carry them on his back right. um, with Voracek and Simmons. But uh, yeah, just kind of stuck in limbo, which which really sucks. Um, <laughs> the, I'd say too, like the only other kind of thing that the Preds have going for them is they do have some young players who could give them a little bit of punch. But it, like looking at all of their prospect pool, the the only dude who has the upside of being like a franchise type player is ironically enough, a goalie who's probably going to spend a bunch of time as a backup to UC Soros in the next two to three years here. Mm. So before we, I'm going to ask you a question later that I have no idea if you'll be able to answer, but I need to ask someone. So I'm going to ask you, but before we get to that, um, in these first five games, is there anyone that is standing out as particularly impressive to you so far? So I mentioned Nino Niederreiter has looked great. Um, that's been really big for this team that he's been getting good results early. I feel like, you know, I expected a lot out of him. I figured he'd probably be like a 20 goal scorer his first season in Nashville. And that was like a slam dunk. Um, he hasn't been a consistent producer recently though, in his years with Carolina, he was like a good analytical forward, but he wasn't a big, I, I don't, I don't want to like speak out of turn here, but he wasn't a huge producer given who he was put on a line with. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent a lot of time with Sebastian Ajo at different points. And that's a guy where it's like, okay, if you're playing on his wing, you, you expect that dude who's playing with him to produce pretty well. Um, but honestly, two names that have stuck out to me that have been kind of surprising in a positive way have been Cody Glass and, uh, this one less surprising, but I'm just happy that the results are carrying over Alexander Carrier. Uh, so both of them are kind of older for how they've broken out a little bit. Uh, and with Glass, it's a small sample size. But Glass is now, I want to say he's like 25, 26 years old. This is the first time he's really like gotten a full crack at being on an NHL team since he was in Vegas a couple years back. Mm-hmm. Uh he didn't make the Preds out of training camp last season. He did this year. There's a really cool video that you can go look for on uh, YouTube and socials uh, where it's it's David Poyle telling uh, Glass that he made the team and, you know, he's like tearing up a little bit. It's, it's really Aww. sweet. Um, but he's a super hard worker and I loved him when Vegas took him sixth overall in their uh, draft I want to say that was like the 2015 or 2016 draft. I'm really bad at remembering the years, but uh, I loved watching him when he played in Portland. I thought he was great in the WHL and uh, he put together a great AHL season last year. He was one of the best scorers in the minors. Um, And so far he's been by expected goals percentage, the Preds best forward, uh, best player overall. So he's been, pretty great. He's just a really smart player. He makes good passes. There's not an element of his game that is, you know, weak or anything like that. I think 
he's just going to get more comfortable with the NHL game as he goes and uh, get better at being a little bit more aggressive with his skill. But he's playing good fundamental hockey right now. That's about all you can ask for out of a guy who's mostly getting middle six minutes. And he's finally getting a little bit of power play time. He's been really good with that, too. So, uh, yeah, you know, two points in four games, a goal and an assist, and rocking like around a 60% expected goals percentage after the Preds have had like their heads kicked in by a couple of teams. So he's been good. And uh, Alexander Carrier, uh, not enough people talk about this guy. Uh, there's a lot of discussion around Dante Fabro, which I get because he was a first round pick. He played at a really high profile college. And uh, when he first came up with the Preds and looked really great in the playoffs a while back, people were like, oh, here we go. Here's the next guy who's like a top pair D in Nashville. Um, but Carrier actually has been the better of the two. Uh He's a dude who was taking, I want to say he was like a third or fourth round pick out of the queue. Um, and he took a really long developmental process. He's 27 now, I want to say, or 26. Last year was his rookie year, and he was like a 26-year-old rookie. He's still 26 right now. Um, but an older guy, and he was arguably Nashville's second best defenseman last season. Honestly, inarguably, he was their second best defenseman last season. Uh you know, if he scored a little bit more, he probably would have gotten some rookie of the year buzz because he played top pair of minutes. He penalty killed. He was on the power play. He did a little bit of everything. Uh, he's just not a crazy high scorer, but he he put up 30 points last season, three goals, 27 assists and 77 games as a rookie. Um, he was, you know, I hate plus minus as a stat, but he was plus 26, which I think says something. Uh, and this year, he started off by posting the best underlying numbers of any Pred, which he kind of did last year, too. Like, Yossi had more value, obviously, because he scores more and he's such a big guy in transition. But Carrier is much more analytically sound compared to any of the other defenders on this team. And he's another guy where he doesn't have outstanding skill. He's not flashy, but he just makes the right play constantly. Um, you know, if... If the first pass is open, he'll make the first pass. If the first pass isn't open, he'll carry it up by slightly, look for the open man, or he'll just chip it off the boards. He's he's not a guy where he forces any plays. Um, and I think that's what I really love about him. He's just such a smart player. Um, he's kind of built in the mold of a Ryan Suter type with a little bit less skill. So he's been exciting to watch this year. He's, he's another one of those pieces where if the Preds want to take a step forward, he's going to need to emerge uh, him and Glass both. And then probably Ellie Tolvin needs to take a big step forward as well. So the weird thing that I'm going to ask you that you may not be able to answer, but it's a thing that's been kicking around in my head for a little while. And I think I asked um, Brian from On The Forecheck this on Twitter, and I don't know if he ever answered me. Maybe you can. So... Back when the Flyers acquired Ryan Ellis, back in the before time, we were all thinking that Chuck Fletcher was a genius and he fleeced David Poyle. And what a win for the Flyers. And we all know what has happened since. Unfortunately. Um, very unfortunately for all of us, um, most notably Ryan Ellis. But... Um, did you guys, you folks that watch the Predators all the time, 
Did you at any point during that season, like maybe you didn't think he was injured, but you had like a little, huh, Ryan Ellis, you know, he's not really skating like he usually does, or hmm, he looks like he's not really himself. Like anything that would have suggested to you that he might have had some kind of nagging injury that just hadn't been found out about yet. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Uh, it's kind of tough to tell, to be honest with you, just because Ellis has had so many different points in his career where he's gotten hurt. And again, like I, when we acquired him, say we, like I'm part of the Flyers. Uh, I mean, not yet, but what, when time. when the Flyers acquired him, I, in my write-up, basically said like, you know, he's missed a lot of time in his career, but it's not really been his fault He's just been super unlucky with injury. Like you can't blame him for missing 20 games when Corey Perry gives him a flying elbow to the head. Like that's not his fault. Um, But I will say he did slow down a little bit in the back half of that season. Once he came back from what was like reportedly a knuckle injury or something like that. Yeah. He took a puck off the hand or something, right? Yeah, but I didn't think that had anything to do with a core issue or a no. hip issue or anything like that. There was nothing reported about that. The team, the Preds are like notorious for having like a lockdown control of local media and mm. they don't really answer any questions they don't want to. They don't put out a lot of stuff either. Uh, they tend to be very private, which I think the players are quite appreciative of. Um it does kind of make me wonder, though, uh, like this is tinfoil hat stuff. It's not really based in any reality, but that's my favorite kind of stuff. The Preds moved on from PK Subban right before his back issues got super bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and like he had had problems prior to that in Montreal and in Nashville. Um which could be ascribed to a number of different reasons, but it's interesting that they managed to move off of him at the exact moment that he completely fell off a cliff, which like we saw that one coming, I think. Um, Cause you could, you, you would just watch Subban and you would see like, Oh God, like he's like, that's a lot of strides and he's not really going anywhere. That's, that's not good. Um, so I, I didn't see that kind of physical evident drop off with, Ellis, but I do wonder if the Preds maybe knew something. Um, they will never admit to it. They would of never course, say yeah. that they did, but I think that's interesting. And I particularly think it's interesting because Ellis was such a model player for the organization. He was like Predators hockey man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he took a discount to stay in Nashville because David Poyle convinced him to, and he also convinced him to not take a no trade clause. And then he shipped him out. And like from everything that we've heard about Ellis going to Philly, that was not done with his consent. He was not happy about it. Really? Um, I mean, like I, that's, that's conjecture. 
right? right, right. But Just, yeah, there's been there's been a lot of stuff said in the media about, and I'm not going to specify who. There have been like a couple different sites and uh, reporters who have like given off the impression that like he wasn't stoked to be traded here, which I, I guess like perfectly fair. The Flyers have been a, a sure, freaking sure. mess, but yeah, uh, you know. I don't think he was expecting to be traded out of Nashville. I think that kind of caught him by surprise. And I think that was a big reason in why Philip Forsberg was fighting really hard uh, for a no trade clause. And that's why Roman Yossi fought for a no trade clause as well. And I think Matthias Ekholm, when he was entering negotiations, kind of battled for one as well. He ended up losing out that negotiation. But uh, there's a little bit less trust that the general manager is going to like do right by you for the sake of doing right by right. you after that whole thing went down. Um, and we've seen that too with like, there was a lot of uh, stuff about Victor Arvidsson getting traded, like guys, you know, posting on social media about how sad they were, how upset they were. Arvidsson like kind of talking crap about the Preds hmm. uh, once he went to LA. Um, so I think that was an off season of really hard feelings. Um, but I'm interested to hear Ellis is a very private guy. So I don't know yeah. if we'll ever get the full story, but I will be interested to hear after everybody's retired and like people are going on radio shows or giving interviews or whatever, whether or not they knew anything, if Ellis knew anything, whatever, before that whole thing went down. Yeah. It's just like in hindsight, you know, knowing what we know now about Chuck Fletcher as a general manager and you know, the fact that that offseason, Ryan Ellis was kind of like a, bit, a a pretty big prize, I think, that a lot of, at least it seemed like a lot of teams were interested in. And the Flyers got him for practically a bag of pucks. And so it's it's kind of hard now at this point in hindsight to not think like, okay, something something must have been fishy here because – how could you not get more than Nolan Patrick and Phil Myers for Ryan Ellis? I see it's that's interesting too. The return is interesting, but I think from what little I do know about what other teams were trying to offer um, and what the different packages were, I think the Preds legitimately were just the most interested in Phil Myers as a talent. And then yeah. uh, they knew that they could swap Nolan Patrick because they, I, I can't speak for certain, but I get a strong feeling that they wanted nothing to do with Nolan Patrick. Um, they knew that they could swap him with Vegas for Glass, which is why they made that trade. I think because they really liked yeah. Glass and they really liked Myers. Glass is like a, a quintessential david poyle draft pick type dude if he were in the position to have selected him in that draft he probably would have um and then i think with myers they just dreamed on probably the physical talent and like okay this guy's a year removed from having a really good rookie season and you know we're the masters of developing defensive talent in the nhl uh so we should be able to turn him into something it didn't end up working out that way um why do you think that is? Because I, I talked to uh, the guy from Raw Charge about the Lightning the other day, and Phil Myers seems to be, at least for now, a fixture in their top six, which I was not expecting. Um, and he seemed pretty confident that he would probably stick around, which is interesting to me because I kind of figured 
that if Nashville, as you said, like the absolute apex of NHL defensemen growing, um, if they couldn't do it, I mean, I guess if any other team could do it, it's the Lightning. I was just kind of surprised to hear that so quickly Phil Myers had made his way onto a team as good as the Lightning, but looks like he has, so good for him. It's it's weird. Um, I'll say I watched a lot of like morning skate and pregame practice and everything like that, and it seemed to me like they were trying to do a lot of coaching Myers up. Um because you know his last season in Philly, he he has all this physical talent. He's like, I don't throw this out there often, but like legitimately Hall of Fame caliber physical talent. He can yeah. skate with anybody. He's friggin' huge. Uh, he can crush you if he wants to. Um, he's got great balance on his skates too. He's just so he's such a good mover for his size that. Like he he will get chances in the NHL, but the mental mistakes. Uh, you remember that too, where he was just really yes. prone to turning the puck over or making a dumb pass, or uh, you know he gets the puck on his stick and instead of uh, making the smart play, he just takes a big shot that goes way wide, hits the boards, caroms around, and goes out of the zone, and then you're scrambling back. Um, and I think. John Hines placed a lot of emphasis on driving offense from the back end. Uh, Roman Yossi, obviously a producer of that, but he liked letting the defenseman uh, kind of propel the way that the game went and specifically running breakouts and entries. And Myers is not good at either of those things. So I think they had options who they felt like did certain things better than him. Like Mark Borgietsky, not a better player than Phil Myers. I will flat out say that. But I think Mark Borgietsky is a better penalty killer than Phil Myers is. I think he's much more physical than Phil Myers is. And Nashville, like their brand right now of hockey is very face punchy. Um, So Borgietsky fits that as well. Phil Myers, not so much. He's big. He can be physical, but he's not really consistently like ramming dudes through the glass he's not somebody who's going to drop the gloves and then win a fight or anything like that um and then matt benning was just a better fundamental player than phil myers was like not as talented but Mm -hmm. would just make the smart play more often a guy where you felt comfortable sticking borvietsky next to him uh because he would cover for his mishaps and mistakes so he was just kind of the odd man out that's that's one thing about when you're in uh, or on a roster where the decor is as deep as Nashville's is. Like he was not beating Carrier out. There was no way that yeah. was happening. He wasn't beating out Fabro. He wasn't beating out Yossi. He wasn't beating out Ekholm. So then, okay, you're fighting for a bottom pair spot, which even if you do win that out, your leash is pretty short and you don't have the, the partner necessarily or the minutes or deployment to succeed in putting up a lot of points or standing out. Um, And then midway through the year when you kind of knew it was over for him is when Nashville uh, felt the need to send a second round pick to Seattle for Jeremy Lazon. Um, Because he's literally Phil Myers, but with more of a proven track record that he can be like a bottom pair NHL guy. Um, the, The biggest concern with Lazon or biggest two concerns were like not great analytical numbers and he takes a lot of dumb penalties 
but he can really move. And I think he's much better in transition than Myers ever was. He's better with the puck on his stick. Um, so like, that's sort of the reason I don't think he's, he succeeded here. And also like, it's, you know, Nashville's not like, Oh, like everybody who they touch is just magically an incredible defenseman. If they're like mildly talented, that's not how it's worked. Uh, like it sometimes goes that way, but there have been plenty of dudes like Kevin Klein comes to mind or Jonathan Bloom, where it's like, all right, this is like a talented hockey player, but they don't really ever turn into anything exceptional. They're just kind of fine. It's if you look, a lot of this too is like Yossi is a second round pick and you've gotten way more out of him than you would ever expect for a second round pick. Right. But Ellis was a first round pick. Shea Weber was a second round pick. Ryan Suter was a first round pick. Um, you know, Dante Fabro is a first round pick. Uh, they spend a lot of draft capital on defensemen and goaltending. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, some of this is just they're great at developing this position, right? They have a track record. But some of it too is just maybe they're just spending more picks. The volume plays in as a factor. Like they don't really take a lot of forwards in the first round. And when they do, they're typically like guys where you look at them and they're like, they're ceiling as a Scott Lawton. Um, so yeah, like the, the Ekholms and the Kimo Timonins and uh, the Alex Carriers, those are all like really big, good success stories and credits to the development program that Nashville has. But if you get a guy where it's like he's 25 years old, he doesn't really have that great of like instincts. Uh, and he's spent the majority of his career in a development program that frankly has been disastrous outside of like, <laughs> they take like guys and they, they're like, okay, like you play in the NHL. You're not a good NHL player, but you're in the NHL or like, you're just fine. Um, with like a couple exceptions, like obviously Travis connect me and a couple other guys on the flyers roster exceed that, like just fine. But the flyers have taken a lot and turned it into a little pretty consistently. Um, And when you get a dude where it's like, okay, his entire career has been spent playing in that environment. And then he comes into Nashville and all of a sudden it's like, Oh shoot, I'm not competing with, (laughs) I'm not competing with Johnny Oduya and, uh, <laughs> you know, like those kinds of guys, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not fighting for a roster spot with like Andrew McDonald or, uh, God, what is the dude's name who was traded? I want to say to Montreal, uh-huh. um, who played like 20 something or 30 something games for that, uh, that flyers team. I'm blanking on him, but another another just like absolute no namer. Um, and there have been so the many of these dudes. I think of is Dale Weiss. That one no, not 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 a uh, not the Dutch Gretzky. No, um, <laughs> forget him anyway. Yeah, no, not that guy. But uh, I I will find a name in a second here. But like it's it's a different environment when you come into somewhere where it's like okay, the expectation on defense is not competency, it's excellence. So. You just sometimes those players don't work out. Hold on, Amen. I'm about to find this guy's name. Oh, great! No, this is important because I'm genuinely oh. curious. 
it wasn't the 2017 team. So it, was, it had to be. Did he play for them the year before? He might have. Hold on. I'm... Where is this dude? Oh my Could gosh. Riveting podcasting here, I'm sure, for everybody else. <laughs> The best segment of every show, looking stuff up on the internet. I mean, and I'm absolutely not cutting a second of it out, so. <laughs> oh, hold on. This dude's a defenseman. If you're, if you're listening to the show, you can play along here, I guess. Uh, it's Is not it... Will O'Neill. No, that's not a real person. That couldn't have been a fly. It was the 2018-2019 season. Okay. Uh, here we go. Christian Foline. Oh, God, that guy. Yeah. I forgot he existed. Christian Foline. Um, he did, in fact, go to the Habs. You are correct. And also in that season, we got the blessing of watching 23 games of Corbin Knight. Oh, fuck. And 47 games of Phil Veroni. What are any of us still doing here? I, I don't know. <laughs> As we record this, the Flyers are losing 2 nothing to the Panthers with about five left in the first. So we're all about to come back down to earth anyway. Hey, never say never. They beat the Lightning after going down 2 nothing. I was going to say, to be fair, this, this season, the, the 2 nothing deficit seems to be the sweet spot for the Flyers. John Tortorella, yeah. this is all according to plan. <laughs> yeah, right where, we, right where we want them. So speaking of scores, Eamon... What's your guess for the final score of this National Predators hockey game? It's funny. So, like, these two teams actually have a lot of weird history together, um, whether it be, like, I think the most traded with team in David Poyle's career is the Flyers. Uh, right. Or, you know, like the offer sheet, craziness. Yes. Um or just like us, you know, having like Terry Crisp in the booth and everything like that. Uh, there's something always like weird about when the Flyers and the Preds play each other. I think the last time they played, um, to my recollection, at like a game that I was at, was the one where Michael Neuverth came like all the way out of the net um, and almost got pantsed on live television. So... I'm going to say this is like a, a wacky game and it's like a five to four score and that the Flyers oh win. Really? Yeah. Cause I like, normally you would not expect that. Cause these are two super defense heavy teams, but for some reason they just tend to break each other's brains. And, uh, you know, I think five to four flyers, five to four flyers. And I think, uh, you know, John Tortorella is going to have like a conniption on the bench because the Flyers are going to have a bunch of defensive breakdowns or something like that. John Hines is just like, meanwhile, telling all his players like, oh, yeah, go bash everybody's faces in. And it's just it's going to get nuts. That's my prediction above the score. That's really funny because I so I've I've been trying to jot these down this season just to to see how many times I'm wrong um, for funsies. But Oh, hey, the Flyers scored. That's fun. Um, my guess is couldn't be farther from yours. I'm saying that the Predators are going to win 2-0. I'm guessing we're going to see Soros, right? Uh, hold on. Let me look. 
I don't know that they have the starting goalie projections right now, but I I yeah, wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if you get Kevin Lankinen. Um, oh. Which, if you get Kevin Lankinen, that's a very winnable game. Uh, I've not been super excited about what I've seen. It, yeah, because it's looking like Saros is probably going to play the road game against Columbus, and then mm. they come back home and they get the Flyers. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think this could be just like an absolute barn burner or it's going to be a total snooze fest uh, just because, again, like these these teams are weird when they meet each other, but also uh, they're two teams that like to play very defense-heavy hockey and don't have a ton of scoring talent. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I'm my guess was predicated on the idea that we were going to see Soros and – even though they were able to score some goals on Vasilevsky, that feels like a little bit of a fluke for this Flyers team. So I was kind of thinking, like, if anyone was going to shut the door on them so far this season, Saros would be the guy that could do it. But if we get the backup, I don't know, 5-4 Flyers, sure, let's go with that. I'm into it. <laughs> uh, I'll take an entertaining game over whatever God. the hell I've been watching. Me too. Amen, if you would like to, you can tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, I am at Jin and UC on Twitter. Um, you can find me there. I don't really write a whole lot anymore just cause I'm doing a lot of, uh, live production work. Actually. That's like my job. Um, you're in college. You're living your life. You don't have time to be blogging about the stupid flyers. Yeah. I'm, I'm too busy. Uh, you know, doing crazy things and definitely not like sitting in a bathrobe in slippers watching the Americans uh, on a Friday night. I'm, I'm a party animal. <laughs> no, nah, but uh, I, you, you still, I think, you know, can follow me on Twitter. I'll probably write occasionally still. I'm kind of just like a pinch hitter at this point. Um, you know, yes. you, you call for me when you need me, but uh, yeah, I still, I still post, takes about sports sometimes and uh still get very angry about certain things on there as well which i know flyers fans uh love watching other people getting angry so that they can feel a little bit better about themselves sure getting angry. so i'm here for you I'm a, I'm a man of the people yes everyone follow amen so that you can say that you knew him because i have a feeling at some point he's going to like run a hockey team and just like write it down because it's gonna happen Eamon, thank you very much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. We did almost an entire hour, which is absolutely wild. It's the flyperbole effect, right? I it haven't is. gotten all that out of my system. <laughs> You've still got the Steve stink on you. Can't Don't call can't, it the Steve stink. I don't mean That's it in rude. that way. Sometimes things that stink smell good. Like I'm oranges. telling him you said this. This is this is horribly oh, rude. God damn it. I'm never going yeah, to the end of it. You're getting fired for sure. Although I don't think Steve has that power, but hey. <laughs> Stoked Steve. He's going to be very upset. Eamon, I hope that you enjoy this game between the two teams that you love the most. I hope that they, at the very least, put on a show. 5-4 sounds a lot more fun than 2 nothing. so hopefully yeah, you're for more sure. right than I am. Everyone, I hope you enjoy the game. Go Flyers. It's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show, Freaking Rocks. 
Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Stroh showed. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast, available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports channel.